This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Draft Lab knows that quality and consistency are your brewery's top priorities. DraftLab provides easy-to-use sensory analysis tools designed to bring your tasting data into action. To start your free two-week trial today, visit DraftLab.com. That's D-R-A-U-G-H-T Lab.com. Hi, John. Hey. Sorry about that. No worries. No worries at all. Glad it wasn't a fire. <laughs> I must think we live in a bloody zoo over here. <laughs> oh, fuck, Doug. Welcome to the Master Brewers Podcast. I'm your host, John Bryce. Today, I'm joined by one of the brewing industry's smartest, nicest, and well-known characters. He's authored over 300 publications, so if you haven't heard of him, you must be new to the industry. I'm, of course, referring to none other than Dr. Graham Stewart. Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. We're going to try this again. We had a a bit of a fire alarm the first time around, so here we go again. Um, Dr. Stewart, your latest article in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly is titled Brewing Intensification Through the Lens of the Craft Brewer. Let's start by explaining what exactly you mean by intensification. By intensification, I mean getting more efficiency out of your process we intensify the process the whole concept of brewing intensification actually was devised in japan as most of these things are by the toyota motor company and it's been applied in limited limited fashion to the brewing industry in japan i don't think anybody's really tried to apply it outside japan in, in this context, it really applies to the whole process of high-gravity brewing, which I've been playing with since the 70s, when I, in my early days with, with Labatt's in Canada. And it really is part two of some work I, start, some work I started presenting at the uh, World Brewing Conference, which was held in uh, Portland in, in 2012. And I looked at various parts of intensification except except for high gravity brewing. I looked at continuous fermentation. I looked at continuous fermentation. I looked at some new mashing techniques. I looked at methods of reducing maturation times, like methods of increasing the rapidity in which you can decrease the acid level, for example. And the paper went quite well, I thought. There were a lot of questions. But as soon as I finished the paper, I hadn't even got outside the lecture room, and somebody said, or more than one person, I'm sorry, said, you didn't talk about high-gravity brewing. I thought that's what you were going to talk about. And I thought, well, I deliberately avoided it because I thought you heard too much. Oh, no, that's what we wanted to hear about. 
Anyway, coming forward four years, putting together the program for the next World Brewing Conference, which, as you know, was in Denver last August. And I was approached by the program committee to say, well, finish the story, please, which is what I did in Denver. And I talked about various aspects of high gravity brewing that we'd worked on and many other people had worked on that we've done a hell of a work on high gravity brewing. As I say, back into the 70s, in my Labatt days, and I tried to apply it to the craft brewing industry, not specifically, but to see how it could be applied in the craft brewing industry. This is actually a continuation of a paper I gave to the Master Brewers meeting that's held in, in fact, it's going to be held this week in, in Toronto every year. I gave it about 2011, I think it was, applying it to the craft brewing industry. When Haggarty Brewing originally became a reality, the, the microbrewing industry, of course, as it was then, not the craft brewing industry, of course, sort of looked down on it a bit and said, oh, that's too fangled for us. Well, the industry's done very well for itself. It's changed its name to craft brewing. And... And they really are looking for methods of improving their efficiency. They're becoming short of capacity. They're doing very well. And so the, I was again asked, could I apply this to small brewing as opposed to the large breweries? And that's where it came from. That's great. That, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, high gravity brewing in the traditional definition isn't really widespread within the craft industry yet, but but the production of high gravity beers, in other words, no dilution at all, is quite common. Aside from the flavor matching and dilution water quality issues, these high gravity beers have to deal with all of the same disadvantages uh, mentioned in your article. Could you take a few minutes to walk us through some of the challenges of fermenting high gravity worts? The challenges are, one, one of course, is flavor match. And I should say, uh, uh, John, right you, there is a difference really in between high alcohol beers, undiluted, and high gravity beers, which are diluted. The, the concept of high gravity came about, again, in the larger breweries, and I like to think my old company in, in Canada played a major role in this, is to, to get more beer through the brewery without spending a hell of a lot of money on capital expenditure. You don't have to enlarge the brewery too much. There are certain nuanced changes you have to make to the process, particularly when it comes to things like water quality, because you're going to dilute the beer after uh, at the end of during maturation or beyond so the quality of the water is important but the other the big concept that interested me and that's how i got into it in my early days at labat was what high gravity does to yeast my interest has been been yeast all my well long before i when i became interested in yeast when i was in well the equivalent of grade 13 in a high school here in the uk and um and i've been interested in yeast ever since uh, so the, what yeast, uh, the high alcohol does have an effect on yeast and of course you must always remember one of the things that's interested me in brewing in terms of yeast management is that we use our yeast over and over again in the brewery not over and over again as much as we used to but we still use it more than once which for example is different say to the to, to, to whiskey producers they only use their yeast once but so for the, the the high alcohol and the high osmotic pressure that comes from the concentrated wood at the beginning of the fermentation has an effect on the yeast and therefore we've looked at the reasons of overcoming that first of all why is the yeast adversely affected 
because we can't start to rectify it. I think we don't know what the hell we're talking about. And secondly, how can we avoid this whole question of maintaining yeast health? And uh, so, so that's where we came from. So it became a, a yeast interest, specifically, not, not solely. We've done a lot of work on other things as well. And, of course, there is the question of, of, um, of, of, of flavor match as well, upon dilution. Because as far as I'm concerned, I've taken little interest in high-alcohol beers. I've said on numerous occasions, I think beers higher than 6% alcohol uh, are not real beers. But let's not go there. That's a separate topic we can debate on, a set, on another occasion. But for the dilution of the beer, at the end of the fermented word, if you like, before before finishing, it's an area that's interested us for a long, long time. And yeast quality, because yeast is susceptible to stress conditions, as you and I are, for example, if we drink too much, it has an effect on us. Well, if you give yeast too much alcohol, it has an effect on it as well. And we've been looking at that for years and years and years. Let's focus on the uh, on the foam positive proteins and the the challenges of foam stability in high gravity beers. One of the reasons cited for hydrophobic polypeptide loss was fermenter foaming. To what extent can anti foam products offset that loss? They can, but I don't. I mean, oh, well, let's be careful there. It, it, uh, foaming is one of the reasons why the hydrophobic polypeptides get lost or become lost because they they cling to the side of the fermenter. The other big reason is that during mashing, a more concentrated mash, if you like more grist to liquor in a high gravity mash, because you want to get a more concentrated wood at the end of the mashing process, the hydrophobic polypeptides are precipitated out, out, of, out, out, of, out of suspension during that mashing cycle a lot more than a lower gravity wood can be. That's one reason. If you like, there are three reasons why hydrophobic polypeptides become lost during, during, during the process. One is clinging to the side of the fermenter because you get more foam. One is during mashing. And the other one, which I think is just as important, is that one of the reasons for stress effects on yeast during fermentation, during the high-gravity the, the high fermentation process, is the yeast excretes or secretes. You can argue whether yeast excretes or secretes. We're not going to go there today because we'll be talking for the, all through the night on it. Excretes or secretes, some uh, proteases, pro, uh, uh, proteinase A. And it's the proteinase A, which is, of course is an enzyme that hydrolyzes peptides, Mainly peptides, small proteins or peptides. Big question, of course, when is a peptide a protein? Uh, small peptides, and the, this hydrolysis also eliminates the hydrophobic polypeptides. And we looked at the whole question of the excretion or secretion of these proteinases during fermentation. There's no question. We published this on numerous occasions, which shows that proteinase A is produced significantly large amounts during the fermentation of a high-gravity wood compared to a low-gravity wood with an identical composition except for its gravity. Yeah, your, your article is complete with a nice chart that shows that uh, proteinase A 
activity over time for for both high and normal gravity fermentations. And the curve on the high gravity uh, beer is is fairly steep. Obviously, there are a number of stress factors at play. Do you think the ethanol concentration is the primary driver, or do the various stress factors all have a comparable impact on the yeast cell? John, they all play a part. No question, but I think it, it's ethanol on this occasion. It's not the high osmotic pressure, because we looked at some high osmotic pressure in due situations at the beginning of fermentation, and the proteinase is excreted more high than low, but nothing like to the extent that the high the high ethanol concentration is. Now, we also should say that the reason we were able to make an advance on this is we, we, we acquired, again from some Japanese colleagues in Santori, a large brewery in Japan, uh, the method of measuring proteinase accurately. Measuring proteinase, as many other things in terms of methods of measuring, has improved enormously over the years, and we were able to get from our Japanese colleagues the, the method and the substrate, a fluorescent substrate, which we've used, which has been used ever since. This really was made we can accurately measure proteinase, and it's the result of that measurement you see in that graph that you're referring to that appeared in that paper. Do you think brewers should expect to generally see a, a linear increase in proteinase activity as their work gravity increases from 12 to 20 Play-Doh? Um, it's, it's not a complete straight line, but it's not far from it. It's a, it's a slight uh, curve, but not very much. Okay. Uh, certainly. It, from, so, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. From about 12 to about 16, there's some more proteinase, eh? but not quite so much. But as soon as you go from 16 to 20, the uh, increase is quite significant, yes. Okay. Is there any evidence that uh, proteinase secretion changes with serial repitching? Does it increase or decrease over multiple generations? A very good question. Um, the answer is the work we did shows that as the yeast gets older, more proteinase uh, increases, and that's one of the reasons why uh, you can you 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 have to re 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 should replace that yeast on a fairly regular basis, even when you, you you're fermenting at twelve Plato routinely, as opposed say to sixteen or seventeen. As the yeast gets old, it produces more proteinase even at lower gravities, and that's why one of the reasons if you use yeast over and over again, the stability of the beer can be re reduced. Coming up. We've got a lot to learn. And I get very upset with the big brewing companies. One big brewing company in particular, which I shan't mention, um, doesn't think research is worthwhile anymore. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. This Master Brewers Podcast is proudly sponsored by Barna Mechanical, a full-service design-build firm specializing in turnkey process and utility systems for the brewing industry. We partner with some of the best craft brewers in the U.S. to ensure the great beer they brew is what their customers get in every glass, bottle, can, or keg. You know beer. We know breweries. Additional support provided by... 
ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Northern California invites you to attend the California Craft Beer Summit September 6th through the 8th in Sacramento. The District Rocky Mountain Summer Meeting is September 7th and 8th in Cheyenne, Wyoming. It may still be summer in Cheyenne. Meanwhile, District Midwest holds its fall meeting September 8th at Fatheads in Middleburg Heights. The Master Brewers Engineering and Utilities course begins September 9th in Madison. Don't miss the keg cleaning and sanitizing webinar September 12th. District Western New York meets at FX Mat in Utica September 13th. The District St. Paul Minneapolis Golf Outing and September meeting is September 14th. The St. Louis Annual Golf Tournament is September 20th. The 2018 District Ontario Iron Brewer is September 28th. And District Southern California meets in San Diego September 29th. View the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. You referenced other work demonstrating that high maltose fermentations produce less ethyl acetate and isoamyl acetate. Did you look at other esters as well? I'm also curious whether or not this was a, a yeast, whether this was yeast strain dependent. It said yeast strain dependent, no question about that. But the other the other ester we looked at was phenyl ethyl acetate, which is the aromatic um ester manian beer which of course is, is 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 the ester responsible for the flavor of roses and and certainly that that did go down as well but uh, the, in, as a result of high uh, maltose concentrations yes but we stuck with those two i hate to say this because the, the, the phd student did this work i call all my units uh, it was easy to measure uh, other, other other esters can be difficult on a routine basis and this work was accumulated a hell of a samples and you measure esters and have a lot of samples, it's time, cons time consuming, and it can be a problem with somebody who's got a PhD to write up, which is what happened. certainly was the case. It was, it was Omar's case, yes. One of the things I love about brewing is that there's there's still so much that we don't know and that there's always more to learn. Uh, you discussed some possible causes of increased ester formation in high-gravity worts. How long do you think it'll be before this is fully understood? Ah. Bit like asking me along to piece of string. Um, there's it, quite a bit of work to go. Um, I wish to God I was. Uh, I wish I, had, I, I still had a lab. I, of course, I don't because I'm retired. There's an enormous amount of work to be done, and what upsets me a bit, though I'm delighted to see that some of the craft brewers are now getting themselves quite viable research departments, uh, which were some of the larger breweries. Uh, for their sins have turned their back on research, which is a mistake, of course, um, uh, that, that we should learn all about these things. We've, we've got a lot to learn. And I get very upset with the big brewing companies, one big brewing company in particular, which I shan't mention, um, uh, doesn't think research is worthwhile anymore, not just on yeast. Of course, yeast has always been my major interest. But we need to know more about... We still don't know why. 
don't know why, um, A, yeast produces esters outside the, well, they don't produce, they secrete esters, and why they secrete esters out into the beer for a start. We understood that, and that's got a lot to do with membrane structure, particularly the plasma membrane, which is on the outside of the, 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 the yeast cell, underneath the, the cell wall. Why they secrete esters at all? But, um, and why, they, they, there are big differences. One of the things we found in that work we did on the effects of maltose and glucose at a high gravity condition, how variable different yeast strains were. All our work was all done, the original work was done with, I think, with a number of ale strains and a number of lager strains. Because they've done in the UK where lager production, ale strain is still important. So in the States, it's now becoming important again because of the influence of the craft brewers. Um, and therefore, we need to know more about the differences between various strains. And uh, But they all had the same overall effect when it came to maltose. Why does the yeast cell produce less malt, produce esters when grown in maltose as the predominant sugar, compared to when it's metabolizing a medium wort where glucose is the predominant sugar? Don't understand that one. I wish to God we could find out, because I'd like to know. Your article briefly uh, mentioned uh, glucose suppression of, of maltose fermentation. Uh, that's a funny little animal that a lot of uh, brewers probably uh, aren't aware of. W- would you mind uh, just walking us through that a little bit? Yeah. yeah I mean, w- wood is a fascinating fermentation medium, because it contains five fermentable sugars, not just one as many media that are used to produce alcohol. Take, for example, must for wine. The only fermentable sugar of any note there is sucrose. Words contains five. It contains glucose, fructose, some sucrose, not much, maltose, which is the predominant sugar, hence its name because it comes from malt, and maltotriols. And that comprises about depending on the gravity of the wort, the fermentability of the wort, you require about 75 to 80% of the, the sugars. And the largest wort sugar, as I say, is maltose, followed by maltose, followed by, followed, followed by maltose, followed by maltotriose, followed by glucose. Glucose is about 10%, but that 10% will inhibit the metabolism of maltose. The yeast cell takes up malt glucose easily. It's a passive transport process. Or you with the kinetics too much. But it doesn't require any energy. Maltose and maltotriose require the expenditure of energy, ATP, to get the maltose and maltotriose into the cell. Glucose will inhibit the uptake of maltose and maltotriose. If you like, the yeast, like us all, is a lazy organism. And it does the easy things first. And it does the more difficult things second. So once about 50 to 60% of the glucose has been taken up by the yeast, in word, does the uptake of maltose and maltotriose begin? Of course, that's late in the fermentation, and things in, in, in a word fermentation towards the middle and end of fermentation are becoming more difficult in terms of the, the, the environment in which we are getting the yeast to take up these sugars. 
But nevertheless, it can start. Now, so what we did uh, with many Inga Russell and I back in my Labatt days was to, to, to look at ways that we could stop that from happening, that the yeast did not inhibit the uptake of glucose. No, they did not, the, the, the glucose did not inhibit the uptake of maltose, I'm sorry. And I won't bore you with how we did it, but we were able to, call, to, to, to produce from brewing strains what we call de-repressed mutants. This, this was selected. These, these were spontaneous mutants within the population. And we showed that under those circumstances, the glucose did not inhibit the uptake of maltose and maltose to anything like the extent. The trouble was that the difference in terms of the overall fermentation was not that great. We did some quite large uh, um, scale, 600 hectoliters, fermentation trials in Montreal, actually. Many because it was with, a, with an ale yeast and in those days, less these days, a lot of ale is produced in Quebec. And, uh, but the uptake was about uh, perhaps 10% faster. It wasn't enough to warrant the use of this particular mutant. So I'm afraid we said, well, thanks, but no thanks. We got some very interesting publications out of it, but they couldn't justify it. Now, funnily enough, these, a brewery in Spain repeated our work a few years later, and they were able to find the same effects as we found, but they worked, A, with a log yeast, lager is the dominant uh, product in Spain, beer product in Spain, and they were able to show that they could find a deer press mutant of a lager strain. We had problems. We could only get ale strains that showed this effect. And uh, they were able to show that the fermentation rates were faster, but again, not enough. And they, they also said the same thing as we said, because I went to Spain, to Madrid to see them. And they said, well, we'd love to take this further, but we can't justify it either. But, but it, it, it is interesting. So the, the way around it, of course, is to try and produce a, a word that has less and less glucose in it and more and more maltose. And of course, you can now get syrups, kettle syrups, which contain very, very, very high concentrations of maltose. 75% of the, of the sugar is maltose. And you can decrease. And through that work, which we did with corn products, there is a brewery, I, mean, I won't tell you which one it is, but you can easily work it out in, in, in Brazil the major brewing company in Brazil uh, now uses high high maltose high high sorry high high maltose syrups I've got high concentrations of maltose very high concentrations of maltose in their um, in their wood and uh, there there's not enough glucose to repress the uptake of maltose and fermentation rates are a bit faster so that's how we overcame that one cool and it was a, a, so that, that that work on maltose, uh, the facts of maltose, are uh, in my view, and I didn't do it. A research student did it. It's one of the best things I did when I went to Harriet Watt, uh, which is not even twenty years ago, and it did it. It has, in fact, won a number of awards for for for, for the for the work, and I take no credit for it at all. Uh, the research student did the work, did all the good work. 
we had Scott Helstad from uh, Cargill on the podcast a few months ago, and back on episode 11, he talked about some of their work with Trey Halos and some of the improved sensory benefits they were seeing from Trey Halos additions. Your article mentions the protective role of Trey Halos and its ability to mitigate the stressful conditions of high-gravity brewing. Do you think Trey Halos additions during yeast storage are a potential magic bullet that the high-gravity that high-gravity brewers should be considering? I, I, yeah, I've talked to Scott about this. Um, the problem is, I don't know, but Trehalose is not an easy sugar. It's, it's, a, it's a disaccharide. It's, 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 it's got a funny structure. Um, I'm not sure. And when I spoke to him, he wasn't sure. Maybe he, he, he's come up with some results since, which showed that if you add Trehalose, that will influence the intracellular trehalose concentration. But certainly, if you can get the trehalose concentration up, I see no reason why you can't find a yeast that can protect itself against stress. Yes. Now, we still don't really understand, this is again something we don't know, what trehalose does to protect yeast against stress. It's thought to be an effect upon the cell membrane, the outer membrane, the plasma level that I just now. But we don't really understand it. Uh, but if we did, it would, it would help us a lot. But I know Scott is really keen to pursue this, because of course it's, it's, if, if they could, if, and they could find the Trehalose edition, uh, which would come from uh, natural source, because they get it from uh, from from cereal starch, uh, would, would help them. Yeah, we, I, I think so. But we, I, before I, I go much further, I, I, somebody should look at Trehalose, should look at the whole Trehalose effect in detail. Agreed. Well, Graham, in my opinion, your article is a must-read for brewers of all experience levels. It's full of great charts that explain results from, from lots of other studies. It reviews and explains some fermentation fundamentals that are absolutely critical for all brewers to understand. And it references 39 other publications for further learning opportunities. This is a great article for any brewer who is serious about their profession and wants to increase their knowledge level so they can make better beer. So thanks a lot for writing it. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. That was Graham Stewart here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Now go do yourself a favor and read Graham's article in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly. You can get there from the publications menu or by typing intensification into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. One hundred and thirty years ago, Master Brewers was built on the concept of brewers helping each other out so we could all make the best possible beer. That's still true to this day, and it's where a lot of the camaraderie in this industry originated. Master Brewers' award-winning Ask the Brewmasters is the best place to go for troubleshooting, where you'll find the industry's only discussion forum that's moderated for technical accuracy by a team of experts. See what everyone else is talking about at community.mbaa.com. Since there's like one thing that I should have told you.